Hello, my name is Liv Downing and you have joined me on the You Are Loved podcast. You Are Loved is the title of my forthcoming children's book due to be released in 2021. And in this book, I explore the possibility that love is actually always available to us. And that maybe, just maybe, we don't actually have to rely on external sources of love or other people to feel a sense of true belonging. As you may know, research tells us that a sense of belonging or a deep sense of connection is really essential for us humans to thrive. And in this series of podcasts, I want to learn more about why that is and how we can all get more of it to nourish both ourselves, our kids and our beautifully broken world. It's my deep hope that through these conversations, it's together we can learn more about creating a more loving and wiser world. Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Mariah Knight from Cool Karma Collected, and we explore a whole range of topics when it comes to supporting women to come home to themselves and really cultivate this sense of love and belonging from the inside. We look at the body and our relationships with our body and how those relationships can really impact our well-being. We explore the wonderful work of Byron Katie. And we really unpack how it's essential for women to do this deep personal work to really start to change and break perhaps the habits that we may have inherited from previous generations and to really stop us handing these on to our kids and to broader parts of our community. Marika shares some wonderful tips that can support us all to come back to ourselves, to come back to this sense of home. Marika Knight is one of my dearest friends and also one of my greatest mentors. She has taught me so much about mindfulness and meditation and really been integral in my own journey, both personally and professionally. She's trained with some of the best teachers around the world, namely John Kabat-Zinn and Saki Santorelli. And she's really done the deep work herself. She not only has all of the theory and the practical tools and concepts, when you're with Mariah, you can feel a deep sense of peace that she has really worked for and cultivated for herself. So it is my real hope that you guys get as much out of this conversation that I did and that you get a taste of the joy and the beauty and the wisdom that sits within the gorgeous Mariah Knight. Enjoy. So I am here today with my gorgeous friend, colleague and mentor, the beautiful Mariah Knight. And this is the very first of um, the You Are Loved podcasts. I'm super excited to be sharing it with the Live Mindfully community. And really the underlying theme that will sit across all of these um, future podcasts will be the possibility that we can always choose love over fear. So I know in my life that's been a constant battle and continues to be. I have written a children's book that's due to be released next year called You Are Loved and it really explores this possibility both as individuals and as parents. And I thought that um, I would really love to explore this concept in more detail through a podcast. I'm very lucky I'm surrounded by some very smart people and Mariah is one of them. So hopefully together we can learn more about love and connection and this true sense of belonging that as humans we're all craving. Mm. So welcome, Marika. Thank you. Oh, 
for joining me today and, and joining our listeners. And that's um, such a gorgeous topic. It's just such a, already just listening, I was like, oh, yes, let's talk about that. It's taken yeah. me forever to find it. And I, um, my deep wish is that other people get there sooner than I did. So that's why mm. I have this conversation. But I'd like to start just to learn a little bit more about you and how you got to uh, maybe tell us a bit about what you do and how you got to doing what you're doing. Um, and then we'll go into some other Mm, okay. Um, I think I'm going to do it through the frame of the fact that, that I was exactly the same. I think all the way through high school, I definitely was afflicted by I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. I think it's a common thing. I, don't, I think it's actually a human, a basic human thing. Um, but I really noticed how plagued I was by that um, throughout high school in particular. And um, it's interesting because I was very lucky, I guess, to find yoga and meditation at the age of 18. And um, that really started to help. There was something about going into that yoga studio um, and, and coming out and just feeling like there was something that had just shifted in me uh, or a sense of just belonging or something, belonging in myself. And so that really was the catalyst for what then became. And in the midst of that, I was also training to be a lawyer and doing all that other stuff, you know, that we needed to do to be strivy and perfectionist and A-type and all of that. It's funny because I remember a particular moment um, and you and I have this ashram in, um, in common, Sachananda, but I'd been at the Sachananda ashram um, back in like 2006 or seven. And I was sitting in the staff room at the law firm I was working at and an equity partner walked in and um, he asked me what I'd done on the weekend. And I told him that I'd been at an ashram doing a meditation retreat and he literally looked at me like I was, you know, going to sing Kumbaya, hold his hands, pull out the hippie robe, do all the incense, the all the woo-woo shit, uh, excuse my language. And it was just that phenomenal moment for me thinking, oh, my God, I've been using these tools to manage, you know, in this law firm to deal with, you know, difficult clients and to deal with stress and to feel like I, I was enough in, in his eyes. And yet it just was seen as such a, a, a weird kind of thing. So that really, I remember that being one of those catalyst moments of thinking, well, if I can't make it relatable or if, if to him, then how do I? And so it really did set me on this journey. And I did my yoga teacher training after that. And then obviously have trained with, you know, um, some of our modern um, mindfulness grandfathers and neuroscientists to really, yeah, just find a way to make this relatable to even those equity partners who are like, what is this stuff? Isn't it amazing how those experiences that we could see as potential barriers in our journey can really be that pivot point? that where we kind of wake up and go, oh, what am I really here for? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I feel like there was that like straight away that values misalignment that was like, hang on, like this is something I really value and you can't even see it. Like it's not even, it's not welcome here was what I got. It's not welcome here. And so that instantly was a pivotal moment for me going, maybe I am in the wrong industry. Um, so yeah, it is definitely. Just based on that story, I'm really interested to hear how, as a, as a woman, as a modern woman, probably acculturated much the same way as mm. us Australian women have been, yeah. how were you able to access that strength and that agency in yourself to make such an amazing decision to leave the legal fraternity? How did that happen? 
That's such a good question. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I think there was a few little moments, like catalyst moments, you know. Um, I remember before my dad died, having a phone conversation with him where I was in tears, where I couldn't, I was paralyzed by the decision. I knew I wanted to leave this job. And I just was like, and, and I was in the midst of my yoga teacher training. And there was just so much kind of friction in me to like, how do I do this? And, how, you know, it just, I, I remember it being pa paralyzing. So there definitely was a point in, in there where I remember my dad just saying, you know, I can see how unhappy you are and you need to follow some path but then very shortly after about six months after I lost dad to suicide and I think going through that difficulty gave me the level of strength to just kind of then go you know what this is it's a, a Pali word that I learned which was called samwaga which is like this there's there's all of a sudden an urgency in you you no longer have a choice you are propelled onto the path whether you like it or not and so I think it was that kind of that 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 strength of like this needs to be where I head in my life that kind of got me there potentially but and yet I get that strength and I've had it many times in my life but yet you listened and I mm. think you know, that's quite uncommon for women I think we I know I certainly have um very much listened to what society has expected of me yeah and it, taken me to my 40s to really learn that I don't always have to listen so there was yeah. there was a degree of courage I can imagine definitely know, I think that's true I think that's so true and I think there was the first initial idea to kind of leave everything but then there was every single Monday morning for years <laughs> I used to call it the Monday morning kind of like frozen where I'd just sit there and go oh my god like I've left the normal workforce and I don't have an income and I probably still sometimes have it actually to be honest but there was like that constant like um, reminder that I had to be courageous in this and and every every week and there would be times I'd get on seek and just go oh my god maybe I've made the you know the wrong choice but I think there was those conscious, conscious decisions at every point, which is mindfulness, like constantly tuning in going, but what do I really want? Even though this is really uncomfortable, what is it that I know that's going to make me really satisfied and fulfilled in life? So yeah, I think the mindfulness definitely, funnily enough, really helped with that. Yeah, <laughs> really helped to perhaps unlock the courage mm. that's always within you, but perhaps you hadn't maybe had the... Um, permission to listen mm. Mm. you really were able to so there must have been a sense of coming home or a sense of connecting with your your voice oh my gosh yes but I think we oh, but it's continual <laughs> like I, if I was to think that I had felt like I was coming home then and I do remember doing work 10 years ago around coming home and how it feels now it it can it's so it's so different again so it feels like it's a constantly evolving process but yes there was elements where i could just um feel somewhat like um there was a, there was a worthiness or lovableness uh to me that maybe had been missing um and it came from me it was that that kind of yeah that resolve from within me rather than externally but again still a it's an evolving process. <laughs> a constant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Revealing. But what an amazing um, discovery to have made that mm. you can 
fill up your own car with petrol, so to speak. Mm. You yeah. become self-sustaining rather than having to rely on um, feedback from the external world, which I'm sure men do as well, but I know certainly as women, we look mm. around our bodies, our achievement, the number of... <sighs> totally. All of that. What an incredibly empowering experience to actually realise you could... Um, have that sense of belonging to yourself and that mm. yeah, you do you know one of the I think one of the pinnacle times when I, I uh, realized that was in the Byron Katie work that I did back in like maybe 2008-9 and I remember talking about the three types of business and you know my business which is yeah that ability to be home with myself and control everything in my own realm everyone else's business and then universal business, God's business, or, you know, stuff that's so far out of our control. But it was such a beautiful thing when I recognized that whenever I was in anyone else's business, worrying about what they were thinking about me, there was no one at home with myself. There was no one at home and I'd feel the anxiety in my chest. And so that became this warning sign. Every time I felt that anxiety in my chest, I'm like, Oh, who's home. I'm not home. And I just put my hand on my chest and I'd be like, come home. So there was just like this continual practice of like knowing that, you know, that was the only thing I had power over really. Thank you for sharing that. What an incredibly powerful practice just to mm. ask that question. I would love, and you've spoken with Byron Katie about Byron Katie's work with me over the years, and I've explored it a little bit, but I'd love for you to perhaps share a little bit, um, a bit of her work with, with our listeners and just, you know, perhaps introduce it in a, in a way if you feel comfortable, because obviously it's been a, a great tool for your journey and it's starting mm. to become a great tool for mine. Um, if you could share a little bit more about who she is and what she's done, that would be amazing. Well, she's amazing. Like, you know, I was talking to a, a client of mine um, that I coached recently and she just said she went down the Byron Katie rabbit hole um, online. So I dare you guys to do it if you're listening. Um, but she was a, a businesswoman. She was an 80s kind of power hitting businesswoman and had all that same stuff about not being lovable, like really deeply not lovable, even though she was so successful in that corporate world. And, you know, really then it all came to an absolute, um, you know it all fell apart and she ended up kind of in a halfway house very very depressed very sick very unhappy and she had this kind of uh, moment where um, she was lying on the floor and a cockroach um, crawled up her leg yeah yes and exactly you have that kind of yucky um, and she realized that she felt exactly the same way about herself as she did about the cockroach wow that's profound. Yeah. That same hatred, that same. Ugh. And then she had this other epiphany that the, it, it was all the same and it was only the labels. It was only the, you know, the, 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 the ways we perceived it that, that was causing us so much suffering. Oh, so then she went off and did all this incredible stuff and went into the desert and did, you know, it's worth reading her books. Um, but she came out with this beautiful practice called The Work, uh, which is an inquiry into every single one of your beliefs that we, we have so many beliefs that we've been, you know, that have been created since we're born or even beyond before that with epigenetics, um, particularly around lovableness and as women, you know, not enoughness and, and the body stuff and all those beliefs. And we inquire into every single belief. Um, so I used to work desperately hard on, I need to be skinny to love as a belief. That was a huge one for me from, you know, very early on in private school in Melbourne, I need to be 
skinny and pretty to be loved. And the way she inquires into the question is, is it true? Can I really know it's true? And the next one, which is the most important one for me is how do I feel when I'm believing that belief that I need to be skinny and pretty to be loved? And what I love about that is it's, you know, it's a little different to CBT because it's so in the body. It's like, how do I feel? How do I, you know, what's the experience in my body? And I just noticed it. It was just this, you know, this heaviness, this like churning of the stomach, this like, you know, this sense of invisibility. Um, and so that was quite profound just to notice that that was the effect that that belief had on me. And then who would I be if I didn't have that belief? If I could just walk into a room and that belief was there, but I just didn't hold it so tightly. Um, and, and so it, it was just a, a really powerful. And then she's got a turnaround too, where you actually then say, I can be loved, you know, even if, or, you know, there's, there's this cool way that she kind of, you know, helps you to see or reframe any one of your beliefs in the converse, because it's all true yeah. or none of it's true. You know, it's just, yeah. So um, that's kind of what she's about. And I just think it is profound, particularly for the stuff around lovableness and enoughness, because um, it can really help us to reveal how damaging, stressful, painful the beliefs are. And then we have the, once we see that, we have that opportunity to choose whether to hold it or not yeah choose to whether to attach to it and own it mm. and invite yeah. it continue inviting it in over and over mm. and over again i think you touched on a really important point many important and amazing points there in describing her work but something that really stood out for me and something that you have coached me on in my own exploration is the body mm. um you know being a psychologist i was very much <laughs> in this part I didn't really even know I had a body until I started exploring meditation yeah. and then it was still very heady for a very long time um and this you know could I'd love for you to share a little bit about the body and how um that capacity we have to come back home within ourselves and that safety because for some of us our bodies aren't a safe place yeah that's right things have happened that haven't allowed us to go there um but if you could just share with us a little bit of your insights and experience and maybe even some tips for for other women who have avoided their bodies and have mm. thought their bodies you know to be a, a utensil or a tool mm. of or to win attention or get the job or whatever mm. i think yeah i think <laughs> Gosh, it's such a big topic. We, yeah, we could talk for hours on this one, particularly I'm so passionate about it because I do think that with a lot of um, practitioners out there, they still teach mindfulness as a head up tool. You know, we can fight mind with mind. We can, you know, combat thoughts with thoughts. We can control everything up here. And what's so remarkable and so awful and difficult, yeah, <laughs> putting up a hand. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I definitely was that too. Took a lot of you know, convincing from all of the teachers over in the States to get me into my body. I remember Bob Stiles saying, you need to take the seven inch journey from your head down into your heart. That's a terrible American accent. But yeah, so, but it's it, the power of coming into our body is both one truly wonderful, but also incredibly scary because for a lot of us sitting with a lot of value misalignment or a lot of suppression of emotions uh, or trauma, 
And the minute we go down there, it's, it's really unpleasant. And so if we can just stay up here and deal with it all up here with the stories around, oh, it was my mother that bought me that or it's, then it can feel safer. But the uh, beauty that lies in actually being willing to kind of turn in towards the body and, 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 and gently sort through um, some of the stuff down there is that we get so much more precious uh, information about what's really going on. And it's a felt experience. Mm-hmm. You know, when we are sitting in that unpleasant and we recognize that our emotions and our thoughts have created created this physical reaction in our body it gives us a power that's so much bigger than our thoughts to actually choose to let go and to and to release and we can't do that from our mind it's actually change comes isn't it sorry to yeah. interrupt. that's where the change comes and that's how we can start to practice these new um, or build these new neural pathways in our that's brain right. through working with the body it's that's not right. down top down no but it's it's bottom up it's bottom up it's absolutely bottom up and i remember having a very confusing conversation with a neuroscientist in boston around this and he kind of you know put it to me just like before we even have thought the mind has established what's going on with the body first you know so really you know particularly with this lamina one and all of these kind of neural connectors that are literally sending messages from bottom up um yeah so we just need to trust in it that will help that that actually the prefrontal cortex will switch on um, if we are in our bodies, because if we think about our prefrontal cortex and some of the things it's responsible for is it's responsible for executive top-down functioning. It's responsible for proprioception and interception. So that's our, our internal ability to regulate our, um, our bodies. So by being in them, we're actually strengthening our mind. Yeah such powerful work you know to be brutally honest um and i'm sure that there'll be some listeners out there who feel the same uh, when i hear originally when i first started hearing people talk about the body i'd be like oh the body if someone <laughs> to feel my body or focus on my breath mm. i'm just gonna shoot them um because it's so cliche and it's mm. so slightly boring um but actually it's where the magic is yeah but don't we have to get past all of the hatred of our bodies. I remember days in Vipassanas where I'd be sitting and I'd just be so angry at my stomach. (laughs) You're fat, you're ugly. And I like, I used to grab at it in my Vipassana and then I'd have tears just thinking, oh my God, the hatred of my body. Where did you come from? Like, you know. Where does it come from? Well, I think epigenetics. I think that's our grandmother's. Yeah. Our great grandmothers, I think it's so deep in us that, um, you know, we have to start to really wake up and be conscious of it and unfortunately do the work of our great grandmothers, grandmothers, mothers, so that we cannot pass it down to our daughters, their daughters. Yeah. Oh, I just got goosebumps. It, it is. And I, you know, I think as parents, you and I are both parents, so little boys. Mm. But I, you know, I think the greatest gift we can give our kids is that waking up is that Mm. choice to live consciously and to live mindfully. So we're not just perpetuating those um, habits and patterns we've inherited through no fault of our own. Mm, Exactly. Yeah. So the body work is, is profound. Where could Mm. go, where could women go to perhaps learn a bit more about learning to relate to their bodies? 
Well, I think, you know, yoga is actually a really lovely start. Um, if we approach it in the right way, it's no good if we go into a room and we start to body shame ourselves because every other woman in there looks prettier than us. But if we go with that real intention of self-nurture, so there are ways that we can, you know, approach or go to particular yoga classes. Um, I, I think obviously, you know, um, loving kindness meditations and, um, and even somatic experiencing, um, there's lots of great therapy now that is just so much more body-based um, that, that can, that can help us to, to start to unlock some of that. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's the three things off the top of my mind, off my head. Yeah. yeah. So um, loving kindness meditation, could you share a bit more? Mm. And I struggle with it. And I, I like, it's just, it's a difficult one again, because it's just so easy for us to be loving and kind to everyone else. And then when it comes to that kind of, oh, I've got to sit now and just wish myself well and stuff. But it's, you know, it's this beautiful opportunity to um, kind of just be with ourselves and really remind ourselves that we are enough. Um, and, and, and the way that a lot of it's done, and I really like it, is you first send your loving kindness to someone who you really love. And you send it to, say, your child or your most closest friend or a pet, someone you really dearly love that you love just as they are. And you get a sense of that energy of how much you love someone just as they are. And then the invitation is to turn that energy, keep that energy and just turn it on yourself. And as soon as that happens, it can be really, you know, confronting because for a lot of us, we just haven't actually dared to think that we could do that, that we could be just as enough as we are. Um, so it is, you know, just a beautiful meditation or a practice for us to, to adopt. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I think you've again touched on a really important point that this work is more than just positive thinking. So mm. this work isn't just looking in the mirror and saying, I love and accept myself just as I am, because I don't know about your experience, but I've tried that and that didn't work. That, that was just my little part of me was saying, well, no, you don't. You're still not good enough. Mm. Whereas actually it's more about, it's that experience, as you said, that feeling, the feeling of loving someone and mm. then, turning the feeling onto ourselves, not just the words, because the mm. words are shallow and empty. We're in the head. Yeah. And, and sorry. And, and I think you're, you've come to a really good point too, around that positive thing, which is that we need to, you know, uh, in order to love ourselves, we need to read all of the things that we don't like about ourselves, like the, the shame, the malice, the jealousy, the, but you know, that's all parts of us. That's every element of, you know, us that's intrinsically human. Um, and so it's not about kind of just showing all the best parts and focusing just on that and manifesting the hell out of it. It's kind of like that willingness to recognize that we can be all of it. We can be the crazy, you know, reactive partner. <laughs> we can be the awful mum at times, you know, that it's, and it's all okay. And that's the deep, deep love, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not just that superficial love. Yeah. It's um, it's really interesting. I think you and I have talked over the years about um, what is it? You know, is it are we are we loving ourselves as we are, or are we wanting to change and grow? Mm. It's is it how does it work? How, where does it both? Where does it sit? And the thing we've come to is it's both. Yeah, we um, manifesting's good. Positive thinking's mm. good. Growing the good parts of our brain. Practicing gratitude's good. Mm 
precursor to all of that is being where we are. That's it. With all of our other bits, with our friends and all the bits. And that's so funny, isn't it? Because it's the precursor and everyone just wants to get to the good stuff. And it feels good even when we haven't done the precursive stuff, but it can be very shallow and there's still all that yucky, murky stuff underneath because we don't actually ever, it will never be enough. That's the, the reality. It'll never be enough. There'll be no amount of work unless we actually come to that space of I am okay just as I am. And then from there, I will, you know, continually make the choices to, to improve my life, to feel more easeful, you know, to be more loving of myself and others. So like from there, we can grow from such a more authentic and genuine place. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's the misconception that by accepting ourselves as we are, we're giving up and we're letting ourselves off. The yes. Yeah. So, I think that's, that seems to really freak people out around like, oh, but if I accept it, it you know, and, and also that it means it's okay, you know, to accept means that it's okay. Um, and it is in a way, okay, um, but it's not saying that we don't want to change or that, you know, change isn't possible, but it's that it, we, we just can't get there without it, unfortunately. I know. I, I hear you. It's, uh, so the conversations, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's brought us back to the kind mm. of started, which is all about that place of coming home and that mm. capacity with where we are and, and love ourselves anyway. And, mm. and that can help foster within us is um, a refuge, a safe space within us. And also, I think from that capacity, we can connect more authentically with other people. Mm. Really mm. what the world's craving now, you know, we're recording this during the time of COVID-19. And if we've learned nothing else, we've learned our interconnectedness. Mm. Um, yeah. So I would really, uh, I've got a couple more questions for you. The first one is um, what uh, could you share with us a, maybe a practical tip? for our listeners in, um, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about loving kindness. You've talked about sensing into the body. You've talked about the Byron Katie works. So they're all wonderful practical tips. Um, but could you just come up with just off the top of your head? <laughs> something um, doesn't need to be something else, but just something else to bring this, that, that listeners can take away from this yeah. session, invite into their lives. I think one of the most important things for me at the moment um, is that, just like we need to know nutrition and know how um, food operates in our body and how to best fuel ourselves, we need to know our, our, our mind and our mind-body connection. There's a real responsibility or onus on us to just become more aware, to reclaim awareness, to get out of autopilot, to 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 just, you know, wake up a little bit around this stuff. And so it's not really a practical tip per se, but it's just, there's an invitation there to just start to, to know your mind better. And that doesn't have to be scary. Um, and when I say mind, I say mind body because it's all part of the same thing, but it can be as simple as doing, um, little stop micro practices where we stop, we take deep breaths. We observe how the body is. We don't get into the mind. We leave that. We just observe what's going on. We might notice that there's an emotional state there. And then we just proceed. We proceed knowing that. Um, And we can do that many times in the day. And that, just doing that Mm. can start to make 
significant changes in your life, you know? Um, and then the other ones, the rain practice, you know, recognizing um, and allowing any emotion that's coming and, and, and sensing this sense of, can I be okay with it? Can it, can I let it be because it's here and investigating it again from the bodily perspective? What does it feel like to feel sad, to feel like I want to just have a good whale? Does it come from my belly? Does it come from my chest? You know, and then, you know, that nurturing or that nourishing or that ability. And for me, I really say it's that ability to just say, this is such a human experience. I'm not alone in this. Everyone has felt at some point sadness or aloneness or not enoughness. Um, So it can be really lovely to just remind yourself of that fact that you're not alone. So I think two little techniques that you could use all of the time um, could be very valuable. Fantastic. So that purposeful stop where you really stop reflecting mm. on how you are and then the RAIN acronym. I do have one final question and that is, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that I should have and that perhaps you'd like to share about um, this, this age-old dichotomy of love versus fear and the choice we have and, and cultivating this for ourselves? I, you know, when I was reading your the, the blurb that you had, I just kept thinking about the fact that um, it reminded me of one of the ancient like Buddhist texts around the, that constant craving and aversion. That craving is the desire to belong or the belonging thing that we have where we always are just seeking that. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, there, there was a beautiful way that that desire, the word desiring, desiring to be loved, desiring to belong um, came about from the, um, um, Latin word desirata, which meant belonging to the stars. And so I think there's just something beautiful about recognizing that this is just so much bigger than us, you know, and that, and, and recognizing that we're also at the same time, all part of the same container, that it's, that we're all in this, like we're all in this in the time of COVID, but it's just this bigger experience. Um, and I found when I, recognize that that the constant wanting the constant desire the constant aversion is not just my experience alone it makes it easier and it makes me more capable of managing uh, and starting to shift some of the you know the ingrained beliefs I have around it so I guess you know that's the only other thing I'd add (laughs) thank you thank that's that's so helpful that shared human experience we do Mm. that and um and it's wonderful to, to, you know, to have some practical tools to, to remind us because mm. I remember reading a wonderful quote that um, mindfulness itself is not difficult. It's remembering to be mindful that is. That's right. So yeah. and this is what these tools are, isn't it? It's just mm. reminding us of our, of our birthright, of our natural capacity. That's it. That's it. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for today. I have loved chatting with you as always. And um, could you just share with our listeners a little bit more about how they could find out about you and and your work and maybe your website and anything else you'd like? Sure. Um, So my Insta handle, which I love, is uh, Cool Karma Collected. Um, And that's my business name. And, um, you know, if you head to, uh, I think maybe we can post a link to my website, which is Cool Karma Collected, but there's all of the information on what I do, the courses that we run um, and, you know, upcoming community events and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, that's what I say is the best place to go is to Instagram or to my website. Beautiful. Thank Mm. you so much, Mariah Knight. 
absolute joy to spend some time with you. Such a joy. Thank you so much for inviting me on.